This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. You're invited to join us at our worship assemblies each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. This afternoon, I want to do a study from the book of Acts. We're going to look at Acts chapter 18, verse 24 end of Acts 18 and on into the seven, uh, first seven verses of chapter 19. And we're going to see what the Bible has to teach us and say to us about the topic of rebaptism. This is an important topic. It's one that's often not talked about or maybe misunderstood when it is talked about. Uh, it's almost as if the Lord knew ahead of time that there would be certain situations that would arise in which a person might receive a baptism that was, for any number of reasons, maybe improperly administered. It was as if the Lord knew ahead of time there would be circumstances when people were baptized where maybe they didn't completely understand or hadn't been yet taught the truth about what baptism is all about. And the Lord knew that ahead of time, and He did something great and amazing for us. He put some teaching, by way of example, in the book of Acts, that helps us understand what God would have us to do if we find ourselves in that situation today. If you're in a situation today where you were improperly baptized in your past for whatever reason, or if you're in a situation today where you weren't properly taught uh, what baptism was about, the Lord has an answer for you. And that answer is found in, I believe, in Acts chapter 18 and Acts chapter 19. So that's why we're going to study it this afternoon. I'm going to divide this passage into three different sections. And we're going to talk about each section. Okay? First section we're going to talk about is Acts 18, verses 24 to 26. And that's where a preacher by the name of Apollos comes to a city called Ephesus. He's teaching and preaching there, and he is corrected by a Christian couple, a husband and wife, by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. Let's look at this verse in Acts 18, verse 24 to 26. The Bible says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Here we read about this preacher, Apollos. He sounds like a, a great preacher to me. The Bible says he's very eloquent. He's very bold in his speech. And he did a very good job of using the Old Testament scriptures to bear out and prove that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. Uh, Apollos was doing a great job. He was fervent in spirit and bold in speech. The only problem was, is for whatever reason, he was still preaching and administering John's baptism. Okay? A Christian couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla, they come into Ephesus where Apollos is preaching and they hear him. And when they find out and they learn that he's teaching and preaching and administering John's baptism, they see a need there. They see a need for correction. And so they humbly correct him. They, they take him aside and they privately correct him and, and teach him uh, more properly the doctrine of baptism. I, 
want to talk about three different things within this passage. First thing I want us to clearly understand is the difference between John's baptism and Christ's baptism because that's sort of essential and key to understanding what this whole passage is about. I also want to talk about giving and receiving correction because we got a good example of that happening in this passage. I also want to use this to prove to the point this afternoon that when it comes to teaching about baptism, teaching scriptural baptism matters. It's important. It's important when we teach. We teach what the Bible says about baptism. Okay? And it's important when we're being taught. We make sure right, that what we're taught is the truth of God's word concerning baptism. But I want to start there and I want to, I want to help you understand the differences between John's baptism and Christ's baptism. John's message was a message of repentance. Remember, John was a close relative of Jesus, and John began his ministry before Jesus did. And, and John's message that he preached out in the wilderness was a message of repentance. Matthew 3, verses 1 to 2. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. What was he preaching? And saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is in hand. That's what John preached. He told people to repent. Skip down to verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat, or fitting for repentance. You know, there was no way of misunderstanding John's message. He was very uh, blunt, very clear. His message was a message of repentance. That's what he preached. And you know, that was right in line with John's baptism. John's baptism, Scripture says, was a baptism of repentance. We're going to read that in Matthew 9, or, uh, Acts 19 in just a little bit. But uh, John himself said in Matthew 3.11, he said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. His message was a message of repentance. That's what he preached. His baptism was a baptism in water unto repentance. John's mission was to help prepare the way for Christ. He was sent to prepare the way for the Lord. Matthew 3 and 3. For this is he that was spoken of the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This is the writer of the Gospel, Matthew, helping us understand that John the Baptist and his mission was a fulfillment of an old prophecy of Isaiah. His mission was to prepare the way of the Lord and to make his path straight. And that's what John did. His ministry was all about pointing forward to the coming of Christ. That's what he was trying to do. He wasn't trying to gather attention for himself or amass disciples for himself. He understood he was preparing the way for the Lord. And his ministry was to point people to the Lord when he came. In John chapter 1, verse 26, John answered them saying, I baptize you with water. But there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is whose coming after me is preferred before me. Whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose. See, he's trying to get people to open their eyes and see that, that Jesus had uh, just come on the scene and he was the one that they needed to follow. And John used an example of how to illustrate that. He said, this is the one of whose shoes latchet I'm not worthy to unloose. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and, un and untie his shoes. He's preferred or he is above me to that degree. John understood that his disciples 
would follow Christ. That was John understood that from the very beginning. He was to prepare the way for Christ, to point forward to Christ, and that someday his disciples would turn from him to follow Jesus. John 3, verse 25, the Bible says, Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John's disciples go to him and say, You, know, you remember that Jesus that you were talking about over there on the other side of the Jordan River? Everybody's flocking to him now. They're not coming to you, John. They're flocking to him. What, is, what, was G, what was John's response to that? What did John say about that? He must increase, but I must decrease. See, he knew that his disciples would turn to and follow Christ, and that was all part of God's plan from the very beginning. John also understood that his baptism would someday be, be replaced by a baptism commanded by Christ. Okay? In Matthew 28, 19, this is after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? One of the things he told his apostles before he went back to heaven was that they were to go ye therefore and teach all nations. And Jesus tells them to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. To baptize someone in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is to baptize them by the authority of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's really what in the name of means. It means by the authority of. So here Christ is commanding them to go forth and baptize, not in the name of John. He didn't tell them to go out and give people John's baptism. He says, you go out and baptize these people in my name, by my authority, and that of my Father and that of the Holy Spirit. Okay, So Christ commanded a different baptism. We would call it Christ's baptism or Christian baptism. That's the baptism we administer today. Okay, we don't baptize people today with John's baptism. We wouldn't do that. right? We wouldn't baptize people in the name of John because Christ told us to administer His baptism by His authority in His name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And Christ's baptism, it replaced John's baptism. John's baptism was for a specific time, for a specific purpose. It came and it fulfilled its purpose. Christ came and gave us the baptism that we administer today. Now, we've talked about some of the characteristics of John's baptism. Let's talk about some of the ways in which John's baptism and Christ's baptism are the same and some of the ways in which they're different. Both baptisms require immersion in water. Okay? whether it was John's baptism back then or Christ's baptism today, both baptisms required an immersion or submerging someone in water. In that, they, they were the same. Here's the difference. John's baptism was commanded by John, and as we just saw from the Scriptures, Christ's baptism was commanded by Christ. In Acts 2.38, when Peter preached on Pentecost Day, he told the people to repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of or by the authority of Jesus Christ. So we see the apostles here in the book of Acts on the day that the church was established. They were obeying the commandment of Christ to baptize in His name, not in the name of John. And then in Acts 10.48, in the house of Cornelius, and we studied about that the other night, when Peter baptized Cornelius and the Gentiles. He commanded them to be baptized not in the name of John, commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. 
Here's, a, here's another difference between John's baptism and Jesus's. John's baptism pointed forward to Christ. It's like his mission. Pointed forward to Christ. It was administered under the days and times of the Old Covenant. Christ's baptism, baptism we administer today, it doesn't point forward, it points backward to Christ. It points backward to His death, burial, and resurrection. And it's a baptism we administer under the New Covenant that we live under today. John's baptism came with no associated promise of the giving of the Holy Spirit. But when we study Christian baptism, the baptism that Christ commanded and the apostles administered, there was an associated promise of the giving of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2.38, what did Peter tell him to do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. He said, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Okay? John's baptism didn't have any promise of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But Christ's baptism today does. It comes with the promise that we receive the indwelling Spirit of God. Having understood the differences between John's baptism and Christ's baptism, I want to move on and speak a little bit about giving and receiving correction. Because that's what we really see happen in this passage, isn't it? We see a Christian couple, Aquila and Priscilla, going to a gospel preacher, Apollos, and humbly and lovingly correcting him in his doctrine of baptism. And I think that's admirable. I really do. If I stood up here through the course of this meeting at any time, and, and if I taught something that wasn't true, wasn't right, if I was mistaken or misunderstood in any way, I would want any number of you to come to me and be my Priscilla or Aquila, okay? And, and take me aside in private like they did, right? They took him aside and they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. That's what I would need. If I was out of line or, or didn't understand something, I would need a Priscilla or Aquila. I'd need you to come correct me. And you'd, you'd be doing me a favor by doing that. You'd be doing me a favor to help me understand the Word of God more perfectly and more completely. You know, whether we are the one giving the correction or whether we are the one receiving the correction, the important ingredient in all of this is humility. Okay? We've got to have humility. We've got to do so with love and with humility in our heart. Proverbs talks a lot about this. Proverbs 15.32 He that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul. But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. And before honor is humility. You know, Apollos could have responded the way people do sometimes when you correct them. They, sometimes people get upset. They get defensive. They get angry. We tend to, if we're not careful, respond that way when somebody corrects us. You know, Apollos could have said, I'm not going to listen to your instruction. I'm not going to receive your reproof. You don't know what you're talking about. I don't want to hear anything from you. He wouldn't have received any understanding. He wouldn't have received any honor from that. But because he had a humble and heart and an open mind and an open ear, he listened, he learned, and he was the better man for it. He had a, a humble heart to receive correction and instruction. He was blessed by that. Proverbs 10, 17. He, that is in, he is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof erreth. If we just refuse any form of correction, 
If we refuse to acknowledge and admit that, you know what, I was wrong. I didn't quite understand it the way I needed to. I was misinformed. I was confused. Our pride tells us, right? Our pride tells us to dig our heels in and not receive reproof and correction. But if we'll be humble in our heart and if we'll receive it and acknowledge the fact that, hey, I I didn't have it right, but now someone's corrected me and now I do, we'll be blessed by that. We'll be blessed by that. We have to have that humble heart to receive the correction. And I'm here to tell you also, if we're giving the correction like Aquila and Priscilla did, we've got to have humility in our heart too, right? We've got to do it with love and, and meekness. This is what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.24. The servant of the Lord must not strive, mustn't quarrel, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. I want you to remember that. This is, these are the characteristics you need to have. These are the qualities of the heart that you need to have anytime you go and correct somebody. Try to help them see a better way. We need to be gentle, not interesting in quarreling. We need to have meekness and love in our heart. And I'm here to tell you, if if both sides will have love and humility in their heart, if you've got humility to receive correction and you've got humility in giving correction, things turn out well. Things can turn out good. And God can be glorified through the giving and the receiving of correction in this way. Last thing I want to emphasize before moving on from this passage is that teaching the truth about baptism matters. There is a lot of religious error in the world today surrounding the doctrine of baptism. Okay? Teaching the truth about baptism matters. If teaching the truth about baptism didn't matter, Aquila and a Priscilla uh, would have heard what they heard Apollos teach and they would have said, well, you know, it's different than what I know, but I guess it really don't matter. Really no use in correcting Apollos because it really don't matter what you teach about baptism. They didn't have that attitude, did they? They didn't have that attitude. They, they are showing us by their example and what they did. It was important to them that this preacher Apollos be teaching the truth about baptism. So important, they were willing to go and correct him. Right? And that tells us today that when it comes to teaching baptism, we need to teach scriptural baptism, and we don't need to receive any doctrine of baptism unless we know it's straight from, from the scriptures. Second uh, part of this passage I want us to look at Picking up where we left off in Acts 18, it's the last two verses of the chapter, verses 27 and 28. Apollos, after this incident at Ephesus, he comes to Corinth, and we're going to see here that he is gladly received by the church there. Acts 18, 27. And when he, that's Apollos, was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him who when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. After this uh, incident at Ephesus, after Apollos preached and he was corrected by Aquila and Priscilla, 
Notice he didn't give up, get discouraged, get bent out of shape, right? He took what he could learn from the correction and he took it with him down the road and he was better for it. He went on to Corinth and the brethren wrote letters to the churches in Achaia where Corinth was to, to receive Apollos. And he went and he worked in those areas. And he was teaching and he was preaching and he was mightily and, uh, and publicly convincing the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. This is a good example about how we grow. We grow through correction. We grow through reproof. We, we can grow when someone comes up beside us and says, hey, here's a better way. Here's a better uh, way of doing something. Here's a better way of understanding something. We're willing to receive that and not push back with our pride. We can take that with us. We can go down the road. And we can be better for it. I think Apollos was. He used that correction and that information and just kept on preaching and teaching God's Word. That's what we need to do anytime that we are corrected and guided in the way of truth. The last thing I want to share with you from this passage is the first seven verses of Acts chapter 19. This is where Paul comes to Ephesus and he rebaptizes 12 disciples. In Acts 19 verses 1 to 7, Bible says it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came unto Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? They said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized. Now, this is their second baptism. Take note of the fact that this is their second baptism. We, were say, we would say they were rebaptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul has laid, had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. I want you to understand what happened here. okay? And the best way I know how to illustrate it is to, is to sort of use a diagram that involves a timeline. okay? And this timeline right here, and right in the middle of it, is the cross. That's the time in which Jesus died. John's baptism was administered before the death of Jesus, right? John's baptism was a baptism pointing forward to Christ, and as Paul stated there, it's a baptism of repentance, okay? But after the death of Jesus, Christ commanded his apostles to administer his baptism, Christ's baptism, pointing backward to what? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, this was not a baptism of repentance, but it was a baptism that was associated with the promise of the indwelling of God's Spirit. Okay? Two different baptisms on two different sides of the cross. Okay? John's baptism and Christ's baptism. Apollos lived and preached on the other side of that cross, right? He lived and preached during a time in the book of Acts where he should have been teaching and preaching and administering Christ's baptism, but for whatever reason, he's not. He's still teaching and preaching and giving out John's baptism, isn't he? Y'all see that? 
Well, he's down there in Ephesus and he's teaching and preaching. And we know there were at least 12 Ephesians who heard him teach and preach and received his baptism. They were baptized, as we just read, in the name of John. Aquila and Priscilla come along, as we read about, and they understand that the, the baptism that needs to be taught and administered is Christ's baptism. But they find out quick, fast, and in a hurry that Apollos, he don't understand that. So as we read in Acts 18, they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. They taught him that he needed to be teaching and preaching and giving out Christ's baptism. But what about those 12 Ephesians that had already been baptized? Apparently by Apollos. What about those 12 Ephesians that had already received John's baptism on the other side of the cross during a time when John's baptism wasn't the baptism they needed? What about them? Paul comes to Ephesus, the Bible says. And Paul finds these 12 Ephesians. And he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, Holy Spirit who? We don't, we don't know anything about this Holy Spirit that you're talking about. And Paul, he's like, well, it's interesting, the first thing he thinks of is their baptism. First thing he thinks to ask them of is their baptism. Because Christ's baptism is associated with the giving of what? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And these people don't know anything about a Holy Spirit. So he immediately begins to thinking, what kind of baptism did they give? How, did, how, did, how were they baptized? And he asked them, he says, what then were you baptized unto? And they said, well, we received John's baptism. And then it makes sense to Paul, right? Paul understood that they need Christ's baptism, and he explains that to them. He says, you know, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance pointing forward to Jesus. And it existed for a time for a specific purpose, but that time and purpose had long passed. He explains all this to them, right? And what did they do? How did they rectify this? How did they handle receiving the instruction of Paul? I want to share a few things with you that they did not say. This is how they did not handle it. You know, they didn't say, and neither did Paul say, well, what we did was close enough. What we did was close enough, you know. I, I went down in the water. And, uh, you know, that just seems close enough. Whether it was John's baptism or Christ's baptism, they, they didn't say, well, close enough. You're good. They didn't say that. They didn't say that. I'll tell you something else they didn't say. They didn't say, well, you know, we did the best that we could, the best we knew how, and, and that'll be good enough for the Lord. There's no doubt in my mind they did the best that they could or the best they knew how. They certainly did. You know, they had been taught by Apollos to be baptized this way and they wanted to please God, so, so that's what they did. They received the baptism that they were taught. They, they were doing the very best that they could. And that's, that's admirable. And that's admirable. As admirable, though, as that is, it wasn't a good enough excuse for them to just stay in that situation, in that condition. They didn't use that as an excuse to say, well, you know, I'm good. I, I don't need to be rebaptized. They didn't say, well, you know, God knows my heart. God knows I was sincere in what I did, and that's okay. That makes it all all right. 
God does know our heart. That's, that's absolutely true. God knew their heart. And He knew that they were trying to do something good for the Lord as best as they knew how when Apollos taught them John's baptism and when they received it. I think God sees our heart and anytime we try to do something good for Him to the best of our knowledge, I think, I think God sees that. I think He appreciates that. But you know, as much as God might see our heart and understand our sincerity, that was still not good enough of, of an excuse to say, well, these people are good. They don't need to be rebaptized." I'll tell you something else they didn't say. And we hear a lot of people say this today. They didn't say, well, it's just an outward ceremony and outward ceremonies don't matter to God. There are a lot of people say that today and use that as, as an excuse for not being baptized in the first place. Paul didn't, Paul didn't tell them that. And neither did they offer that up as an excuse for not being rebaptized. You know what they did? We read it right there in Acts chapter 19, verse 5. The Bible says that they were baptized this time in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not in the name of John. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They received the baptism that Paul came and preached unto them and taught unto them. They were baptized a second time, this time correctly, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we learn from all this? I think there's, there's several real important things we need to learn. Number one, when it comes to baptism, getting it right matters. I don't know how else to say it, but getting it right matters. Teaching scriptural baptism mattered. Otherwise, Aquila and Priscilla wouldn't have corrected Apollos. Helping people get a scriptural baptism matters. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have made an issue of them receiving John's baptism. When it comes to baptism, getting it right matters. It mattered to Paul. It mattered to Apollos. It mattered to Priscilla and Aquila. It mattered to these 12 disciples. And it should matter to us. It should matter to us. The other thing that we learn from this passage, from this story, is that a baptism is only as effective as far as it agrees with Scripture. Okay? Like I said earlier, not every church and not every denomination teaches the truth about baptism. And as a result of that, not every church and not every denomination administers a scriptural baptism. There are a lot of baptisms that are uh, that are administered in religion today that are not in line with the scripture. Okay? But I want you to understand what we learn from this story is that a baptism is only as effective as far as it agrees with the truth of God's word. Here's the third big thing I think we can learn from this. If your baptism was Im improperly administered in any way, You've got an example in the Scriptures of what you should do. You should respond in the same way that those 12 disciples in Ephesus responded, right? They took care of it quick, fast, and in a hurry. They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were rebaptized because their first baptism was improperly administered. I want to help you understand a little bit more about the differences between scriptural and unscriptural baptism. I want to help you understand this. I want to help you come to the right place in your heart and your mind on this. This is very important. So let me give you some, 
some examples of what I'm talking about. Scriptural baptism is immersion in water, a burial in water, being submerged uh, in the water. We we saw that, uh, for those of you who were here this morning, we saw uh, Brother Alex go down under the water. He was submerged, he was immersed. There's a reason why we do that. A lot of churches will just sprinkle a little water or pour a little water on someone and, and say that they're baptized, but that's not in line with the Word of God. That's not scriptural. We have examples like Acts 8 and 38. This is the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went both down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. You know, remember they're driving along in a chariot studying Isaiah 53. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? They... They stopped the chariot to baptize this man. If baptism could be accomplished by sprinkling water or pouring a little water, they maybe could have found a a canteen of water there in the chariot and just sprinkled him with water right there in the chariot and called him baptized. But they didn't do that, did they? They didn't do that because scriptural baptism is a burial in water. It's immersion. They stopped the chariot. They went down into some body of water He was baptized, he was immersed, and then they come up out of that body of water. That that tells us right there, it paints a very clear picture in our mind that baptism's not sprinkling or pouring, it's immersion in water. Romans 6 and 4 talks about baptism, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. Baptism's a burial. And we understand burial, don't we? When we lose a loved one, we have to go out to the cemetery. We understand what burial's all about, Right? Put our long-lost loved ones deep in the ground and we cover them over completely with earth. And that's where they rest in peace. That's what baptism is. It's a burial in water. It's not being sprinkled. We don't go out to the cemetery and and sprinkle a little dirt on on the casket, on the vault, and say they're buried. Anytime I meet someone or I'm studying with someone who says that You know, I was sprinkled with a little water for baptism. First thing we do is we look at the scriptures which teach that baptism is by immersion. And we encourage them to do the very same thing those 12 Ephesians disciples did in Acts 19. To receive a scriptural baptism just like they did. Scriptural baptism is only for those who hear, who can hear and believe the gospel. But in some churches today, uh, they will quickly baptize little babies or infants who cannot hear, cannot understand, and cannot possibly believe the gospel. Okay? Mark 16, 15, Jesus told his apostles to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned or condemned. Notice Jesus said that you need to go out and baptize these people once they believe. Preach to them. And those who can hear and those who can understand, if they so choose to believe, then they can be baptized. Jesus placed belief as a prerequisite to baptism in the Scriptures. Okay, so a person must be mature enough to be able to hear and understand the Gospel and believe it before they're baptized. Little babies cannot hear and understand. They cannot have faith in the Gospel that they cannot, they cannot understand and comprehend. So little babies are not scriptural candidates for baptism. When I meet people, visit and study with people, and they say, well, I was baptized when 
I was a little baby or a very, very young child. I can't even, some of them say, you know, I can't even remember it, but my parents told me I was baptized. What do we do? What would we encourage a person in that situation to do? Maybe you're in that situation today. We'd encourage you to see the scriptures which teach that baptism is for those who can hear, believe, and then obey the gospel according to their own faith. And we would ask people who had received an improper baptism in their past to be baptized properly in accordance with what we've studied this afternoon. Scriptural baptism, uh, the doctrine of scriptural baptism teaches that sins are forgiven at the moment or at the point people are baptized. But a lot of churches today teach a doctrine and, and administer a baptism that says that no, your sins are forgiven long before you're baptized. Your sins are forgiven by praying some kind of a prayer, asking Jesus to save you, uh, asking Jesus to come into your heart. And then they would, would teach and tell us that at that point you're saved and in a few months if you decide to, you can be baptized or you never have to be baptized at all. Okay, uh, That's the common teaching in, in a lot of churches today, but it's not in line with Scripture. Scriptural baptism, it was always taught and always practiced that baptism was the point at which people were forgiven of their sins. Again, Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Jesus did not say, He that believeth shall be saved, and then later on he can go get baptized if he wants to. Jesus didn't say that, did he? He said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The idea of salvation before baptism is is not scriptural. It contradicts the words of Jesus. Peter preached on Pentecost Day to these Jews to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or for the forgiveness of their sins. He told them to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus so that in order that they would receive the forgiveness of their sins. You see, they had already heard the Word of God. They had already believed. They were pricked in their heart. But they were still in their sin. Peter said, if you'll be baptized, those sins will be remitted. They will be washed. They will be forgiven. See, it's not until the moment of baptism that we get remission of our sins. That's what the preacher Ananias told Saul, the Apostle Paul, in Acts 22, verse 16. Ananias told Paul, and now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. If you study the conversion of Saul, you'll know that up until this point, Saul had, had he put his faith in Christ. He had repented, repented with prayer and fasting. Paul had, had had faith and he had repentance, but he was still in his sins. Ananias told him to get up and be baptized, and when he would, those sins would be washed away. Our sins aren't washed away. They're not forgiven until we're baptized. And that's the teaching over and over and over again from God's Word. 1 Peter 3.21 says, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. It's not by prayer or it's not by asking Jesus into our heart. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's quite common for us to meet people and visit and study with people and they say, well, you know, when I was baptized, I was taught that I was saved before I was baptized and then later on I got baptized. That baptism wasn't for my salvation. It wasn't for the forgiveness of my sins. It was for some other reason. 
The only scriptural reason and purpose for baptism is it's for the remission of sins. It's for the forgiveness of our sins. And if your baptism was administered for any other reason or purpose than that, you can be rebaptized for a scriptural purpose. You can be baptized correctly understanding that our sins are forgiven in, at baptism. You can be baptized scripturally uh, in accordance with the teaching of God's Word. And that's what we encourage people to do. If they didn't, their first baptism wasn't for a scriptural or right reason. If your first baptism wasn't scriptural, shouldn't you be rebaptized? The answer to that question, I say, is yes. If your first baptism wasn't scriptural in any way, or maybe you just didn't understand what you were doing, I think you need to give some serious and careful consideration to whether or not you should be rebaptized. What we tend to do is, in moments like these, we tend to say, well, I hear all that, but Surely what I did was close enough. Surely what I did was close enough. We might try to tell ourselves, you know, I did the best I could. Listen, there's there no doubt in my mind that you did the best you could. If you've been baptized in the past, there's no doubt you did the best you could. And I believe God appreciates that and honors that. And all I'm asking you to do today is to do the best that you can based on what you know now. Do the best you can today based on what you've been taught, based on what you've learned, based on what you've seen from your own Bible. You did the best you knew how to do back then, that's good. Do the best you know how to do today. And God will bless that. We tend to say, well, God knows my heart. He knows I was, I was sincere back then when I was baptized in some other church or under some, under some other religion. Yeah, God knows your heart. He knew your heart back then. He also knows your heart today. It's not a question of whether or not you got a good heart. You know, some, sometimes people get to thinking that, well, if I go up and get rebaptized, so that means I haven't had the right heart, or that means I was wrong all along. That means I got to give up all those all those years. You don't have to give up anything today. You don't have to give up anything today because God has known your heart from the very beginning. He knows it now. And you don't have to give up anything. All you have to do is yield to the truth and obey. God always blesses us when we yield to the truth and obey. He knew your heart then. He knows your heart now. He'll bless you. If you sincerely need to do this, He will bless you. Don't tell yourself that, well, it's just an outward ceremony and it doesn't matter. It matters. Getting it right matters to God. Getting it right matters to God. I'm going to close with this verse. 1 Peter 1 and 22. It says, Seeing then you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. The Bible teaches that we purify our souls. They're washed clean through obeying the truth. Okay? If you weren't taught the truth about baptism, times past, it would be very hard, if not impossible, for you to obey the truth about baptism, wouldn't it? If we weren't taught the truth, it would be hard, if not impossible, to obey the truth. But that's what we want people to do today. We want people to obey the truth because that's how 
our souls are purified in the sight of God. Verse 23 says, being born again. You know, when you hear being born again, your mind probably goes back to John 3, where Jesus had a talk with Nicodemus about being born again, right? Being born of water and of the Spirit, right? He's talking about baptism there. He's talking about being baptized, being born again, and water and of the Spirit. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. I don't know. You may have been baptized a dozen times in your past. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that today, if it's your heart and it's your desire, you can be born again today, not by anything else but by the Word of God. You can obey the Gospel and have a baptism that's in accordance with this incorruptible seed, the Word of God. And your head can hit the pillow tonight knowing that you've done everything in your power to do what God has asked you to do. You'll rest well tonight because there won't be any doubt. The doubt will be gone. You can make this right today. You can make it right today. And if, if, if this is your circumstance, and let me tell you, it's been, it's been a lot of people's circumstance. You're not the only one. Rebaptized my wife six months after we were married. Rebaptized my mother five years after I was married. Rebaptized many of my family members because of the very, very things that we've studied today. You're not the only one. A lot of people that have been where you're at and had to wrestle with this thing and had to look honestly at these scriptures and make the decision for themselves. I can't make that decision for you today. But I ask you to carefully think about it and consider your soul. We're not asking people who, had, who were properly baptized in the past to, to have any unnecessary doubts. That's not what this is about. We're not trying to get people to doubt, okay, if you were scripturally baptized. We're not trying to scare everybody and make everybody jump up and get rebaptized again. That's not what we're doing, okay? If you know in your heart of hearts that you did it the Lord's way, praise God. You're, praise God. But if there's a doubt, if you're not sure, if you know maybe in your heart that you need to do this, please do it today. Please do it while you have time. Please do it while you have opportunity. We're here to help you through this process. We're here to study more with you, answer more questions you might have about it. However we can help you come to the right decision on this, we want to do so. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon podcast. If you would like more information or have questions about what you have heard, email us at cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook at facebook.com backslash wheelerareacfc.com.